If you have your Bibles, turn to Ruth chapter 4. So, let's just review a little bit. We're in the book of Ruth. The Old, the Old Testament's love story. And it's a love story between two people, Ruth and Boaz. And it's also a story about God's love for us. If you remember back in chapter 1, we talked about this was a dangerous time in the time of the judges. The judges was a time when there was no king in Israel. People, it says, they did whatever they thought was right in their own eyes, not in the eyes of the Lord. They did what they wanted to do. And God raised up judges to save the people because they would get into all kinds of problems and sin. And then God would have to continue to rescue them. It was also a time of famine in Bethlehem, which is where the book was set. It's, Bethlehem means house of bread, but there was no bread in Bethlehem. So this family, Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, and their two sons, Malon and Kilion, they left Bethlehem because of the famine. They went to Moab, which is traditionally God's enemies. These people that God didn't, God told them not to mingle with these people, not to, to, to go to them. And also there was failure on Elimelech's part because not only did he go to Moab, leave his people, Right, for 10 years, like imagine leaving church for 10 years, what that would be like. That would cause all kinds of spiritual havoc because the people of Moab did not worship Yahweh, the God of the Bible. They, they worshiped the God of uh, child sacrifices and sexual immorality, Chemosh, a totally different God, an evil demon God. So he took his family away for 10 years. Also, against God's strict prohibition, got his sons to marry Moabite women which is also expressly forbidden by God. Because God knew if you marry these people, you will end up worshiping their false god and not me. So because of that, or in connection to that, uh, Elimelech died. And then Melon and Kilion, which those names mean like weak and sickly, they also died. So you've got these three widows left. And Naomi hears this news after they're all dead that there's the famine has ended in the house of Bethlehem, right? The famine's over. So she's like, I'm going back, tells, tells her daughters, tells her daughters-in-law, listen, go back, bless you. Thank you for the way you've cared for my sons. They're gone though. I can't make sons for you anymore. I have no use, you have no use for me. So go back to your people and your gods. Orpah, the other daughter in eventually said, yes. Ruth said, no, I'm going to be with you until you die. I'm going to be buried next to you. I'm going to worship your God. So she had a conversion experience. She went back. All the people in the town, all the women especially, asked Naomi what had happened. Who are you? And she said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter, right? Because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me because she obviously is grieving in this, in this very broken place, you know, her sons and her husband are gone. And then in chapter two, we see that the redeemer Boaz shows up, right? Providentially, Ruth says, I'm going to go work in a field. And it just happens to be in the field of Boaz. And she's working hard and, and the, the workmen come to Boaz and say, hey, there's this girl, Ruth, who's been gleaning. 
And gleaning, if you remember, was kind of their social security. That was their, their pension for the people who are poor. It was a social safety net for the people in Israel. So on the edges of the field, they told the harvesters not to pick that grain. Leave that for the poor so the poor could have a way to work hard and survive. So she was doing that. She's on the edges of the field. And then Boaz says to her, it's like, what, you've, what I've heard about you, that you've taken great care of your mother-in-law, Naomi. And he prayed for her to, that God would bless her. And then he blesses her. He invites her to lunch. They have a meal together. Um, and then sends her home. Well, first, he tells the workers, listen, don't just let her glean on the edges. Glean wherever she likes. Throw down some extra bundles so she can gather them easily. Right, this is in chapter two. And then she sends her home with two weeks wages worth of barley. So Ruth worked hard, but Boaz was blessing her. And then he goes beyond the law, like the law said just the edges, but he gave her so much grace. Let her glean among the sheaves, among the main parts of the field, which is much easier to, to get, take the grains out take the barley out, and leave some bundles for her just so she can pick them up and, and take them. And he also said, let's stay with these women. They will keep you safe. Remember, it's not a safe time. It's a time of chaos. Be with these women in the community, and you'll be safe with them. And Naomi was surprised by the amount. Um, he was. She also said, stay here as long as you need to continue to work. And it was, it was several months. So in chapter three, we talked about, uh, it talked about timing. We were talking about that in, our, in, the, in the last sermon, about God's timing, don't force it by Naomi, because she worked for several months. They had one meal slash date maybe together, and then she worked for several months. So just waiting for God's timing. But Naomi said, no, we're gonna speed this up, right? Well, she doesn't wanna miss this opportunity because Boaz, he, she knows that Boaz is a redeemer. And so she gives some questionable, sinful advice, possibly. You know, she wants her daughter to rest long-term and not depend. So she says, here's the plan, okay? Boaz will be winnowing, which means throwing the grain up in the air and separating the wheat from the chaff, the barley from the chaff. And it's like a time of celebration. There's, there's fun, there's feasting, there's some drinking involved. Um, and Naomi says, here's what you can do. After everyone's gone and he's like asleep, go there, dress nice, wear makeup, right? Put on your perfume, put your cloak on, and then lie down at his feet and see what happens, right? Kind of poor advice, right? Kind of sneaky, kind of hidden, kind of tempting, right? So Ruth, as a new baby Christian, baby believer, she says, okay, yeah, I'll do this. She goes, lies down at his feet. After the, the celebration's over, Boaz is surprised, didn't even know who it was. It's so dark, right? There's no like night lights or, or light pollution. And then she says, you're a redeemer, redeem me. Will you marry me, basically? Right, you are a redeemer. And then you can provide for me and for uh, for my mother-in-law. Spread your wings over me, she says. It's covering and protection, right? 
and, and it has marital overtones as well. Boaz, being an honorable man that he, he is, does not take advantage. Instead, he prays for her, right? He says he is, he is interested in her. He shows gratitude towards her. He even calls her a worthy woman, the same as like Boaz, an honorable man, right? He's a leader bisman. He calls her like the Proverbs 31 woman. You are, you are an honorable woman. He agrees to marry her, but not through sleeping together, not through seduction. He said, we're doing this God's way. So this is another redeemer who's closer. I need to check in the morning. So go back to sleep and we'll see what happens tomorrow. Then last week we talked about uh, at the end of chapter three, God wants us to be vulnerable to him because Boaz, Ruth was very vulnerable. Like uh, as a woman, even in our culture, that's kind of hard to say, right? Like, will you marry me? The woman saying that. In their culture, much more bold, right? But Boaz is not taking advantage of that. Doesn't shame her, right? He tells the, the people around him, make sure she's not known, right? Because if it's, if it's seen that a woman is leaving the house of winnowing, people might think she's a prostitute and that would shame her and ruin her reputation, right? But he doesn't do this. He says, make sure she's not known. Gives her a huge sack of grain as well. Take this, right? So your mother-in-law is not, uh, doesn't go hungry. And then he, so she, he protects her. He protects her vulnerability in this vulnerable place that she's in. Doesn't take advantage, doesn't use or abuse her, is, is kind and loving towards her. And that's how we need to be as believers. We need, we need to be vulnerable to God. And then we need, he, he blessed her with this grain. And then we, need, we needed to wait on God because of his kindness. So Ruth is needing to wait. She goes back to Naomi, and Naomi says, wait, he will settle this matter today. I think because Boaz was so honorable, and Ruth told Naomi, Naomi everything that happened, it maybe changed her heart. And that's where we are today. So if you have your Bibles, chapter 4, we'll read 1 through 10. It says, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is none besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz says, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take the right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. 
Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Kilion and Malon. And Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So, there's a lot going on here. So my first point is that God uses providence, right? This is a major thing. We talked about this with Ruth just happening to be in the field of Boaz, right? And, and it happens here, right? He's at the gate, right? He probably came late. Remember, they had that conversation earlier in the morning about, you know, don't go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Here's a sack of grain. Make sure she's not known. She probably came a little bit late in the morning to the gate. And there's many people. The gate is kind of like this. Um, it was the place where people would go in from the fields and out from the fields. And it was like a political place as well as a um, just like a, a physical protection. It was a gate where everything was done. Business was done. Uh, legal stuff was done at the gate. So just everyone goes through the gate. Now, it could have been 10 to 1 that he would have showed up because maybe he had a bad day. Maybe um, Boaz came late, right? He could have shown up, not shown up at all. And then it says, behold, behold is like, what a coincidence, but it's not a coincidence, it's providence, right? And we talked about before that God works in two major ways, right? He works through providence and through miracles, and God works through miracles, right? Miracles are all throughout the Bible, parting of the Red Sea, God speaking from the burning bush to Moses, Jesus healing the paralytic, and the man who was born blind, which had never been done before. Right? I was just recently talking to a friend about some of the miracles that he saw. And he uh, he was able to pray for somebody and their hearing was restored. Another person whose leg was lengthened to be evil, equal lengths, who was crippled. And he also saw a, a vision of Jesus talking to him, which I think is amazing. And I believe that God works through miracles, right? So he, he's working in that way. And that is an awesome way that God works. And I'm sure there's, we could tell stories about how God has worked in your life in these visible breaking through sort of ways. And that, and that I believe that. But we don't always see miracles, right? Miracles are not every day. That's why they're called miracles, right? They're not usual. They're not a usual thing that happens in our day-to-day. -day. But providence is the other way that God works. And providence is him working behind the scenes, but directing events. You know, what people call, would call natural means, right? Think about God ending the famine, right, in, in, in chapter uh, 2, in chapter 1, right? God ended the famine. It didn't say anything miraculous happened. It was not like manna fell from heaven. God probably provided the rain, and then crops were able to grow again. Not amazing, but still God, God saving his people that way. Right? And it, it, we say the word natural, but natural is not what the people would have thought in this time. They think that God did this. And we sometimes think, oh, natural, these are these, these natural laws that just exist. Well, God made all those laws. God made them. 
So there's no natural events. There's, there's a sovereign God who controls all the things that work. You know, if God stopped thinking about the universe, the universe would, would cease to exist, right? It's by God's might and power that the whole universe is upheld. So miracles are in front of us. They're easy to see because they just explode, right, in front of you. However, providence is kind of one of the things you see better in the rearview mirror, right, from behind. So when things are happening in the moment, you're like, I don't know, I'm going to walk through this door and see what happens, or this new job. It could be great, it could be a disaster. It's hard to see God's providence in the moment. But usually after the events, you're like, oh, yeah, God was working that out. So we see providence better in the rearview mirror. You know, when I was in university, I received lots of scholarships different universities, really good universities. And for some reason, I didn't choose any of those top-notch universities. I picked a smaller university. They gave me less of a scholarship. And I don't even know why, because they had a really good music program. I really wanted to join it. But there was, I, was, I was accepted to different, better conservatories. And I, I, I look back recently after that happened, and it was like, man, why didn't I choose these great schools? Like these great universities, I picked a small university, which is still good, a great experience. But then later I found out, well, through that university, I met some incredibly strong Christian brothers who helped me to grow. I was involved in a very strong, amazing church that changed my life. I was a Christian, but I, my growth accelerated in the Lord in huge ways. That's also where I met my wife, Stephanie. We were in the same college ministry together, and that's where I met her and fell in love. And that's where I got a job afterwards. And through that job, I got a master's degree in ESL. And through the master's degree, I, when I got the master's degree, I was like, I want to travel somewhere. You know, I thought, you know, I was like 23, but let's do something fun before we have kids. And then 2008, we came to Kuwait, and here we still are. So you can see the providence just in that small story. Why didn't I choose those other better schools? Because God was directing the events, the, the desires in, of my mind and my heart, right? And he works in the mundane. He works in the day-to-day, -day, right? It's, it's not super exciting, a lot of the things he does providentially. But if we think about it and we reflect on it, it is amazing. So God works both in the dramatic, in the miraculous, and in the simple. When you're doing laundry, when you're spending time with your kids on your morning commutes, talking to your family, like the never-ending to-do list, God is still there and in all that, right? It's not like you have to do these things, and then, you know, when something amazing happens, I'll, I'll let you know and I'll show up. No, he is there. He's directing those conversations and those thoughts and those desires and those fears. He is using them for, for, for our good and for his glory. So we need to trust him. Right, that's the point. We need to trust that God is working, just like with Boaz and Ruth. Right, Boaz made the man, brought him right where Boaz could meet with him and talk to him. And of course, it's not always clear, right? But we know that he is leading through good things and bad things, right? It says in Romans 8 that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Right, you may not get a green light in the sky, but you have to walk through doors and, and, and pray and seek him. And maybe he'll, he'll speak to you in a small voice. Maybe you just have to kind of go by faith. 
And sometimes we don't understand things, right? Like, yes, it's better in the rearview mirror of providence, but sometimes we won't understand until eternity, right? There are questions. I'm like, <laughs> with this COVID thing, I'm like, why is this still happening? <laughs> like, it's been three years. I'm like, God, what are you doing? I want my life to be normal again, right? And that's, and that's hard. Like, I get it. I'm right with you. I'm like, man, life is hard. I, I was coming to church, and my car had the engine light, and it was like the car was shaking, and I had to get it repaired right before I came to church. And I was like, why is this happening right now? I just want to go to church and do this. It's these really hard things because we don't understand them. Like, why would God... And I just got my car repaired last week, too. And it's so frustrating because you're vulnerable and you're at the hands of these people. doesn't speak any English. I'm, like, hoping he's not ripping me off. But he probably is because I'm American. Uh, and he sees, he sees DNR signs. So we don't understand. And there's a question. That's the journey of trusting God as believers. That's the journey of trusting God. We don't, we don't get a, a full map in front of us, right? We kind of get a couple steps, maybe. And that is what it means to trust God through his providence and through his care for us. Because it's hard. It's a journey. It's a process that we go through. So we want to always understand. So we just have to continue to trust God. Trust God, even in the hard situations. Yes, get counsel, pray, seek him. But we, sometimes we just need to trust him in the things we don't understand. There's many things I don't understand that have happened in my life. Many, many things. And I'm like, why did you do this? This wrecked my life. And I don't know, but I'll know one day. One day we'll, we'll get to heaven and be like, that will be my first question. Why did all these things happen? And I'm sure there'll be like a great, clear, glorious plan, and God will lead us. So that's trusting God. So God works through our providence. And my second point is that God works through our work. Right, like I said, the city gate is a place of commerce, business. It was a central location, right? They had actually archaeological sites have, have shown some of these gates that they had benches where they sat down, right? This is like you do business here at the gate. Even if you go to, um, I was in old Jerusalem years ago, and they had that. Like if you go to the old city, there's benches by the, by the different gates, and that's where people did business. That's where life was done. So Boaz says, hey, sit down. Let me grab these 10 elders. Right? These, these people were, um, they had kind of like some religious, but mostly legal and um, judicial power. Like they were witnesses. Like they kind of controlled what was going on in the city. Like they call, like, I'm an elder as a, of this church. But these elders, they also had a lot more uh, political influence, right? They were, it's not just your Christian life and your work life. No, those all kind of blended together in the people of Israel. So these people had authority, legal authority. So probably like many cultures today, Arab culture today, they probably exchanged some pleasantries, maybe had some tea. And he says, Naomi is selling her land. This is the first, first time we hear of this in the book, but she's selling her land probably because she's desperately poor. And this is like a, a raging discount, right? She's desperate, right? You imagine the financial crisis in 2008 when people were selling stuff at pennies off the dollar, right? 
foreclosures and, and different things like that. You could get stuff for very, very cheap. And because she, she needed this money to survive. So she was selling her land. Right, so that's what she's doing. So it sounds like a really good deal. And he says, yeah, this sounds like a great deal. I'll get this super cheap land. I'll have it as part of my pension plan and as an inheritance for my kids and my grandkids. So he's he's very excited about that. But then Boaz, as a smart businessman, said, well, there's actually there's some fine print here that you need to read. Um, here's the catch, right? You also get Ruth the Moabite. Um, you need to marry her. That's part of your duty as the kinsman redeemer. And that had some had some implications. First, obviously, as a Moabite foreigner, there's a stigma there. Secondly, the son, if the, if the marriage has a son, then that son would get the land. Because it, the, the, the plan, the God's plan was for this called Leverite marriage. So in order to keep the land from passing and being, being controlled by one family or one person, this was in place so that that land would go back to that family. Because God wanted all his people to have, he parceled out the land, right? When they conquered um, present-day Palestine, he parceled out the different, the different 12 different tribes and different clans within those tribes in order to make sure that the land doesn't get like taken away or consolidated. He says, if you marry, you have to, you're supposed to redeem these people as a kinsman redeemer. And then you have to raise up, if you raise up a child, a son, then that goes to him. Right, so it does not go to this other redeemer's family. It goes to the son of him and Ruth. That keeps it in the clan. So this great deal suddenly becomes a charity deal, right? He wouldn't get the land as inheritance. He has to take care of Ruth and Naomi. So he says, I don't think I can do this anymore, right? Changed his mind right there. He takes off his sandal. That was their way of attesting and, and giving up his right. He had the right of first refusal because he was the first one in line, right? And this is official, and it was also shameful. If you, I don't have time to talk about this now, but if you look in Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10, this was done when a redeemer refused, when a redeemer refused to redeem, uh, like if, if a brother of a widow does not marry the widow, she takes off her sandals and like basically slaps him in the face with it because you you have not redeemed me. Right? So this it goes back to that in Deuteronomy 25. And this raising sandal is a shameful thing that he has to do is because he is not taking his responsibility as a kinsman redeemer. So Boaz, he's probably very happy, and this is in front of the elders. He says, I'm gonna take this land, I'm gonna raise up a son. And I'm going to pass on the land. He makes it very clear what his intentions are. Take the land, marry Ruth, raise a son, pass it on to him. Honor the dead husband. So what's my point here? God works in our work, right? This is a situation where there is no pastor. There's the elders, but I said they're mostly political. And that blessing happens at work. Blessing happens at work, not just in a religious Christian church context, right? This is at the workplace. So Boaz used the workplace to redeem this family and to basically save them from a life of poverty. 
And I want to say that the workplace is a sacred place. It's a holy place. You know, we, we tend to separate our minds. Okay, I do this on Friday. This is my life here. And then I have this on Sunday through Thursday. Totally different. No, that's not what God's saying here. He's saying, no, the workplace is a sacred place. You know, many people think about, oh, should I be called to be a pastor or, or an elder or a leader in the church? Which you should evaluate those questions. And God could be saying that. And that's great because we could use a lot of help here. But God also uses you in your job, at your work, where you are. Maybe God's saying, be a Christian leader, be a, a blessing in your job. Right? It's not separate. God wanted Adam to work in the garden. That was before the curse. Right? The work was, was part of God's plan for Adam. Work in the garden. And it says, in heaven there will be work, right? It says, we will judge angels. So there's work to do in heaven. Now, the work will be, would have been, and will be much better. It's not by the sweat of our brows. All the frustration and all the things we hate about work will not be there. But work is part of God's plan for his people. So we need to work hard at our jobs. First of all, we need to do our jobs as unto the Lord, it says, right? Make it easy for your bosses, right? Don't make it don't make it hard. You want to be a blessing to your bosses. You want to be a blessing to those you lead, whether it's students or you have people under you in your office, people who serve you. We need to be a blessing to them as well, right? The workplace is a place of ministry. Right? We need to use it for the kingdom, not the other way around. Right? Whether that's maybe sharing the gospel with your colleagues, just developing relationships with them. I've heard of people leading Bible studies at work over lunchtime. For those who are working at the home, you know, making sure your kids know who Jesus is, spending time with them, loving them, praying with them, praying for them. Right? You, you know, we're not just in Kuwait. This is a big issue in Kuwait because we're not in Kuwait just to work. I know many of you come here to work and to make money, and that's good. That's fine. Making money is fine, but you're, that's not your only purpose here, right? Money should not be our God. Money should not be the driving force, right? And if we make it our God, there will be consequences. Your work will be less satisfying. You will not be happy. Because it will consume you. I've seen it. I've seen people who, man, I, I, I said this story before, but my first year in Kuwait, I had a guy who's a, a teacher with me in the same school, really good, nice guy, but he started tutoring a ton. After school, you can make extra money, quite a bit of money, tutoring students privately. And he would do like that four hours a day. He was telling me he's doubling his salary, which I was, that's pretty impressive, doubling your salary. Made all this money, students, the kids he tutored were giving him all kinds of nice gifts. And that next summer, he died. And all that stuff and all that money, whose was it? Not his, right? So how, because he lived for that. He didn't enjoy his life. He didn't enjoy his work. He just worked, work was his guy. He's like, I'm here to make as much money as I can. But then he died. And then whose money would that be? It wasn't his anymore. Right? We'll either use money to love people or we will use people to love money. 
the, I think which one we are, right? I want to use money to love people, not the other way around. That's what God calls us to do. And it says in the Bible that we are all God's kingdoms, priests of God's kingdom. We are all priests of God's kingdom. Not just me, not just the pastor. In fact, my job is to equip you for ministry, as it says in Ephesians, right? The fivefold ministry, evangelists, pastors, teachers, are to equip the people for your ministry, right? You have your ministry is what is is what's going to change this world and this culture, right? I'm just trying to help you on that journey, right? To help you make an impact. And I'm also here to help you, equip you, so that work is a sacred place. Also, it, it, would, it would also be good to work in the church, right, to serve this, this place, right? Because the Bible says that every believer has gifts. Every believer has gifts, and they're to use up to build up the kingdom of God. And then sometimes it's in church, sometimes it's out of church. But I think some of us, we can, we can do both. Right? And sometimes it fits with their natural ability. Right? I'm a teacher, so I'm, I'm teaching now. It, it kind of fits sometimes together. But sometimes you can have totally different spontaneous gifts. And that's how I started in the ministry. I was just came to church, like in that church in the university. I just came up early. I helped move out the chairs. I wiped down things. I stayed after, just talked to people. Right? I was willing, right? If you think of the ministry of Isaiah, not that I'm some sort of amazing person, super gifted leader, teacher, pastor, but I was willing. Like it says in Isaiah, when Isaiah started his ministry, God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then Isaiah said, he said, then I said, here I am, send me. Right? Isaiah was willing to be used by God. And he was in powerful and dramatic ways in the book of Isaiah. Right? And faithful and little and faithful and much. Right? Jesus says in the parable of the talents, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So, another point. Be willing to serve in this place. And many of you are. I've said this before. Right? Most of you are serving in some way, and I, I'm so grateful in serving in big ways, making this happen. Right? And that I think that helps as we as we all kind of contribute, we can all contribute in some way to make this this little body happen, this little church happen. Right? Another person was telling me, you know, Chris, you should delegate more. I was like, okay, yes, if there's more people willing, I would delegate more. There's not always people. I'm not going to make people do things. But we, we all prevent burnout if we're all doing a little bit, right? It says in Proverbs, many hands make light labor. So if you need direction, if you question, hey, how can I serve? I want to serve. Um, see me. I, I, will, I will give you something to do, and you can find out. Maybe God gifted you with this. Maybe not. But you learn by doing. We learn by doing. And I'm sure there's in heaven, I will be polishing a lot of your crowns because many of you serve behind the scenes quietly and faithfully. I probably get my reward because I'm in front of people, right? In heaven, I'll probably be polishing your crowns and because of all that you do to serve. 
So as we conclude, remember that God is working in our lives, whether we see it dramatically or as you are washing the dishes. He is moving. He is arranging. He is working in our lives for God's, for our good and his glory. He will bring you where he needs you to go. He will guide your paths. Even in this time of COVID, maybe more difficulty, more lockdowns, more isolation. God has a purpose. He's using it for something. We also need to remember that God is with us, both inside and outside of church, in our workplace and in our homes. We are to be the light of the world, as Jesus says. We, not just that we have to do this, but we are light. So we just need to be who we are. He says, you, you are the light of the world. He says, don't, don't try hard and do more. He says, you are the light of the world. So we just need to be that. Let, don't hide it. Just be who you are. Be God's people in the workplace. Sharing the good news of the kingdom. Being a blessing to all those people, like Boaz was with Ruth and Naomi. And it, I'm, I'm not going to give the full story away, but it brings about the King David and eventually Jesus. Comes through the son that Ruth and Naomi made right through his through his service he brought about the king of kings and the lord of lords so imagine what our small contribution we're in a place with locals right people who have are unreached with the gospel they have not heard less than two percent have heard about the name of jesus if we can plant a seed where somebody gets saved and they save a few more people imagine the difference that can make in this land it can make a dramatic difference. So we are all ministry workers in service to this kingdom, and we can use our gifts outside of church and in the church and in the world. We can make a powerful impact. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for these people who have come and listened and engaged and have served and have worked hard to make this a reality god i thank you for my friends and my family here that i can know them and love them and be known by them and you make people you make friendships we are a family your word says we are brothers and sisters fathers and sons mothers and daughters in this place and thank you that we can see you maybe in a small way or a big way in one another god and I thank you for just that you would just bless these people, that you'd be with them, that you would show yourself to them, that you would love them, that they would be the light that you've called them to be, that you let me be the light you've called me to be in my workplace. God, we all need this. I need this. I want to do better. I want to be a light. I want to be not ashamed of who you are and your word. Even if it makes the world laughs at us, it does not matter because we know that it is truth. So bless these people as they go. Be with them. Show yourself to them. Love them. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.